The last thing you want is for something to go wrong with your plumbing, but it happens a lot. And the last thing you want when there's water spraying all over your kitchen or your toilet is overflowing is looking up reviews on which plumber you should call. So let me save you some time. Call the art of plumbing. They're always on time. They can locate the problem and fix it right away. They even help with solutions to stop any future problems. Save time. Call the art of plumbing today. 541-951-9405. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. Of course, you know I'm your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for joining us this week. And I don't know about you, but every now and then, you meet that one person that can dramatically change your life. Well, this lady did just that. In the year 1996, I entered her life as she entered my life, her family really, and hear her amazing story. And a lot of this, I'm just going to be candid with you, I didn't know about And she has a very compelling story on how her road to redemption has happened. Stay tuned for that. I hope you're ready. Ladies, gentlemen, without further ado, let's buckle up our seatbelts because here we go. Hey, come take a walk with me. Not like you used to do. Do something different and put yourself in other people's shoes. Open up your mind and open up your eyes and change your direction. Welcome into Other People's Shoes. I am your host, Neil Matthews, and I am so excited. I get to sit across from very much a mother figure in my life. 42 years of marriage. I mean, what an experience to draw from. Seven kids and so many more that she could probably claim lay claim to. My guest has been pretty much everywhere you could think of, I think, in a lot of respects. She has a a deep, deep deep-rooted past, and we are going to dig deep into that. So I hope you're ready. As I said at the onset, we're ready to go, and here we are. Welcome my guest, Karin. Karin, how are you? Doing great, Neil. Thanks. I am so excited to sit across from you. So normally, you know, I'm I'm doing these in like a Starbucks and, you know, we got some barista stuff going in the background, coffees brewing. It's all kinds of just interaction. But we're in your nook, <laughs> which if you saw it, we're going to take a picture later. But and, and we'll have that. Uh, so you'll see that when we when we air this show. But. This thing is awesome. It's like this nice little hideaway for you, nice little oasis. Yep, this is where I come with my girlfriends and we have coffee or tea together in this private little room. And why why is that so important to you? Just getting away with the girlfriends and, and kind of having that private moment. We'll answer that first and then we'll go back to something very important that we have to answer right out of the gate. But we'll, we'll answer that first. Well, because we talk a lot about deep things. And I think if you have a small atmosphere as opposed to a big atmosphere, it makes it a little bit more private and comfortable and cozy. And I try to provide that atmosphere so that we can just be real together. It definitely is cozy in here, for sure. (laughs) It is super cozy. Uh, So Karen, we gotta get some show business out of the way first. So we always like to start the show off with this really silly question, and that's this, is what size shoes do you wear? Size seven. You're a seven. I am. That's awesome. Right? I mean, I don't know if that's, I don't know. I think that's awesome. Seven's a good number. So, uh, Karen, do you have a favorite pair of shoes that you like to wear? 
I do. My dance goes. What? My dance goes. I don't even know what those are. It's a clog. And I like them because I have high arches and it's hard to find shoes that fit right. So dance goes are the shoe. Dance goes mm -hmm. are the shoe. Now, is that the brand name of them? Yes. Okay. I have to look into some dance goes. <laughs> I mean, the name in itself just beckons, like, put me on. Because I'm going to dance <laughs> and I'm going to go. I don't know. Dance go. I don't know. Making making fun of that in a, in a, in a fun sort of way. So, so Karin, let's get into this. So why... Why is your story so compelling, do you feel like, that, that people really need to hear? Well, I've gone through a lot of traumatic things in my life, and I believe that other people have too. And so if we share our stories and can encourage other people and help them to know that there is hope and that um, they can get through anything that they have been through, that there, there is victory on the other side if people are willing to take the time to counsel or heal or um, turn to the Lord and um, the Lord will get us through. It, it's, a, it's a story that I hope can help other people to be brave enough and be courageous enough to go forward um, through what they've been through and, and let it be used to help other people. Well, and I think that's great, right? Because I I personally, I mean, that's right up the alley of the show, right? We're in your shoes. We're, we're walking where you've walked. We've, you know, we're trying to empathize where you've been and, and kind of what you've experienced. But the hard part of it all is, is right, is everyone has a story, but not everyone wants to tell that story. And so that's the hard part, right? Is like, how do we get people to, to tell their story and to share that story? Because, I firmly believe this, and I, I think you maybe do too, and of course speak to this, is why do you think people are so apprehensive about telling their story? Well, for me, I know that there's so much guilt and shame and um, embarrassment. If people knew my story, what would they think of me? Um, possible fear of reje rejection from people. And so people are afraid, and they haven't healed from what they've gone through. And so they're not ready to tell their stories yet. They, they have to go through the healing of it in order to be able to understand what it did to them, you know, and, and then be able to share it with others and help others. So I don't know if you remember this, but back in 1996, it was a, it was a summer day, much like we are in right now, and uh, at the time of this taping at least, and I was standing outside of a church doing a summer, like, vacation Bible school almost, and pull up this van this blue van huge 15 passenger van pulls up and these little uh kids they're not so little no more but these kids hop out right and kind of all in like this single file military very strict <laughs> sort of line if you can visualize this and they all stand on the line the line i'm referring to is the line that indicates the parking spot and then i see this guy come around wearing shorts, this crocodile Dundee <laughs> hat, and this very bubbly, energetic, I don't want to say hippie, but but very much different than the gentleman in the Australian hat. I'm like, what is going on here? And who is that that I'm describing? I think you're talking about me. I am. <laughs> I'm talking about not only you, but your husband. My husband and our seven children. And your seven children, mm -hmm. right. And I'm just blown away by this as, you know, I, I was a teenager back then. I was 16 and I'm thinking, what 
in the world, but the kids were still on that line. Mm-hmm. They did not move. They did not waver. They didn't play around. I mean, it was like life or death. You leave that line. There's no hot lava, but you're going to be in trouble, you know? And, and it just, uh, it, obviously, it is still ingrained in my head. But, but you have the past with your kids. You have the past with your husband. You have all these past stuff. So, Karin, in a nutshell, if we can, as best we can, what is this story that is so sometimes hard to share? Because, let's be honest, you had some apprehension in doing this, right? Oh, yes. And why is that? Well, because I've never told my story, I think, as a whole before an audience before. I've shared parts of it through um, counseling sessions that I've done with people or with uh, the youth, the um, support groups that I've led for the last 35 years and, and Bible studies. But it's always been in parts, and this is the first time I'm sitting down doing it as a whole piece. That's awesome. So let's get into that. What what where does it start? Where do we where does the story of Karin begin? Well, it begins back when I was a child, and um, I uh, went through some very abusive things in our home. Um, my father molested us kids. And so that was a a biggie. And in doing that, kind of set us up for some vulnerable situations in the future. And so um, from there, uh, we were a church-going family. And uh, we went to a a particular church. And I would help the uh, elder's wife take care of the little babies down in the nursery and and I, as I went to the restroom one time, there was an elder that molested me in the bathroom. And uh, to go on from there, uh, there was a, a pastor in my life when I was 25 years old who raped me. And so as far as church goes, you know, I had a lot of bad experiences with church. And that was a really, really hard thing to go through. And at one point, God said to me, uh, I want you to deal with the past. I want you to deal with this. And I just said, no, I, I can't look at this. It's too hard. You know, I ha- there's too much in my past. There were family members that had molested me. There was a boy across the street that had raped me at knife point when I was 12 years old. Um, I ended up getting pregnant at 12 with, um, I actually don't know who the father was. It could have been the family member. It could have been the guy next door that we thought was our uncle or the boy across the street. And I had an abortion in uh, a doctor's office without any painkiller. It was an after work job. And just a lot of traumatic things that, that I knew I was gonna have to face. And actually, At the time when God called me to do it, I didn't have all the memories. It took time before all the memories came out. I got, God was so gracious with me. He brought them out just a little bit at a time and helped me to deal with each one. And I had gone to some counselors, uh, three different ones that were very qualified counselors. And each one of those counselors told me that I was so messed up, they didn't know what to do with me honest. And so um, after that, I got very, very discouraged, became very depressed. In fact, my doctor uh, 
labeled me as a manic suicidal depressive. And that's when our oldest boys were very young. And so I thought, okay, maybe we put this on hold or I don't know, maybe God will find another way. And so he just kept bringing things up to me a little bit at a time and he started walking me through it. So I was really counseled by God, counseled by the Holy Spirit in leading and guiding me through this process of uh, facing the things of the past and the pain and what it did to me and and how it limited me actually in uh, my social life. I felt so very, very insecure, so ashamed, um, not able to really communicate with people on my level at my age because I always felt a lot younger than what I really was. And as I went through this process, I found out that people who have been through something traumatic at a younger age oftentimes feel that age that they were when they were traumatized. And so I think that's why we have many uh, adults acting like children in different situations because they're hurting, hurting people. Yeah, I, if I can jump in, um, man, I, I just want to digest that for a second. Like, so your own father mm-hmm. molests not only you, but your other siblings. Mm-hmm. Did mom know? Did your mom know? Actually, my mom knew about one incident, I know, because she came in to the room when something was happening. And she turned around and walked out. And honestly, I hated her for years because of that. But when I started dealing with forgiveness, forgiving people, God really showed me that, you know, she didn't know what to do. We didn't have children's services back then. If police were called, they just said, this is a family situation. You need to deal with it. There wasn't any help for anything back then. So what year, approximately what years is this taking place, if you don't mind sharing? Um, let's see, it would have been from 1960 until I graduated high school in 1977. Okay, thank you. That just so gives us some long, time frame. Yeah, long, long time. period of yeah, time. Yeah, long period of time. Mm-hmm. So your dad abuses you, right? And then elder in the church abuses mm-hmm. you. And then pastor mm-hmm. abuses you. And then neighbor, I mean... You're really walking through some real... I mean, what's your self-esteem like? Well, I honestly believed that um, it was just in my cards, that it was just going to happen to me. I know that sounds crazy and bizarre. It does, especially when I know your husband. Like, I mean, did you think something when you first met your husband? And I know that guy, by the way. He's an amazing man of God, but... But even, I mean, he's the Australian dude in the, in the story that I was talking about. His name's Eric. But, um, but, but when you when you and Eric got together, did you ever worry about that at all? I think at that point in my life, I hadn't even begun to deal with it. Mm, okay. So it was just my lifestyle. It was just one person after another. It's just the way it always was. I can remember going to a friend's house when I was in sixth grade, and her family talked together they played games together they were really kind and decent with each other and I can remember getting so scared while I was there because that was not my life my mother was an angry alcoholic Um, mom and dad were divorced when I was four years old so I didn't grow up with a dad 
So all of these men in my life, you know, were just men that did that to girls. It's just what happened. So that was, that was in the cards for me. That was just always going to happen. And then when I was 25, after I was married, had two kids, and it happened again, I just really thought, you know, by, by a man of God, I thought, wow, you know, this must really be my lot in life. I don't know why. I don't understand it. Um, this is really confusing to me because I read the Bible, and that doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that the men of God should be doing, but um, here I am trapped once again. And I, it was never safe for me to say no, because if you said no, you got beat. So you just didn't say no. You didn't back up. You didn't talk back. It was, it was rude to talk back, you know, to, to adults. And we were taught that you don't, you don't do that with adults. You respect adults. You listen to adults. You do what adults tell you to do. And that was so ingrained in me, plus all the abuse over the years, it was just another time. And, and that's, you know, that's when I became depressed. And, uh, but that's also when God called me to start dealing with it. So depression leads to what? Oh, re- for you, depression for you. leads to hopelessness. Okay. And, and that um, suicidal thoughts is right. where I was at. And I actually went into some drug addiction. Um, I had seen a couple of different doctors at that time for different things. And I actually ended up being on 12 different medications that I became addicted to. And these doctors at that time didn't know I was going to each doctor because they didn't have the systems that they have today. And so I was a drug addict. I was a prescription drug addict. Before that was really a thing, really. Yeah. 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 And then um, I became an alcoholic, too. And it was all just to hide my pain, to hide the shame, to hide the guilt, not knowing what to do with it. You know, I just felt so lost. And, um, so what kind of toll does this take on not only your marriage, but your mom at this point now too, right? Right. Um, it was, it was really, really difficult for Eric and I, um, I, I went through a lot of anger and hatred and, um, I I ended up telling him, honey, you're not a guy at this point in my life. You're not a guy. You're, you're not one of the guys I'm talking about. You're, you're just an entity that I'm sharing with. And because um, I don't want you to take any of this personally, because it's not about you. It's not you. And uh, he was able to grasp that concept, which was great, because we were able to go forward. You know, and I saw lots, of, I saw um, different counselors off and on. We had a, a man in our church, a neat brother in our church that I went to. And um, I did find a lady who understood spiritual abuse. And I drove two and a half hours twice a week to go see her because she was the only one I could find that did understand it. And, um, and she really helped me, too, to, to see what had happened to me and how to deal with it. It was so difficult. Well, I'm just, again, trying to digest all of this, <laughs> right? Because there's so much to, to, to get through. But... But to understand, I mean, y- you talk about the the abortion at 12. Mm. My daughter's 12 right I now. Know. Like, I can't yeah. even fathom her having to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And, and me as a dad, not being there to be there for her. Right. What would, I mean, what was that like? Well, my mom sat out in the waiting room 
and I just remember that the uh, the receptionist was there and the doctor just took me in, strapped me down and did it. That was it. And then we went home and I screamed through the whole thing. Yeah, it was pretty traumatic, but, um, you know, and then it was just kind of forgotten and you go on. It was never dealt with. Mm-hmm. So that was that was kind of a hopeless, you know, situation, but it was just part of my life. And when you grow up um, with life as you know it, um, that's all you know. You can't compare it to anybody else's life because that's your life. It's all you know. And so that's normal to you. I can remember talking to a a girlfriend when I was 16 and in high school and we were at her house and we were talking about how our brothers um, and family members were doing things to us that weren't comfortable, that we didn't like, and her mom was in the kitchen and overheard it. And so her mom came in and she said, what are you girls talking about? And we just told her what we were talking about. And so she said, "Uh, girls, this is not okay. This is not normal. This is not what's supposed to be happening. That's the first time at 16 years old that anybody ever told me that what was going on was not okay. I thought everybody did that. I thought that was just normal because it was my norm. And so she really helped us to understand that that needed to stop and it shouldn't be happening anymore. And um, But I mean, how do you go back to a church that you've been hurt by especially by a pastor, right? I mean, that's now in our society, obviously has dramatically changed in a lot of respects because we are seeing, you know, sadly abuse in the church Mm -hmm. by pastors, youth Mm -hmm. pastors, whatever. But how does that make you feel anytime you go into a church setting? Like, is this going to happen again? Is this, I mean, what what is that like? Um, it, I never think about that anymore. Um, as being abused because I'm not a victim anymore. I I have dealt with my past and what happened and I no longer see myself as a victim. I see myself as a victor. And when I go into the church, I look at people as my family. I guess I always have a cautiousness, you know, to be careful with um uh, with men. Um I'm not alone with men and and I'm I'm just careful and I watch. I'm I'm very observant. And so I I just watch for signs that could be there and and I'm just very careful, but I I'm not leery about going into churches anymore. There was a time when I was and wondered if it would continue happening for the rest of my life. But when God showed me that, you know, this this is not this is not your life. This is not who I want you to be. I have so much more for you. And, um, and he, he gave me so many scriptures of encouragement, so much hope, so much joy, um, as I overcame different little steps in my progress that. Yeah, I I think it's great. And, And I think you and Eric have, uh, an amazing story in a lot of respects because, you know, I meet you guys at 16, as I alluded to. And I gravitate to your uh, second oldest son, and we strike up a very unique friendship, which little did I know would put me on the path that we are on now together, you and I and and your husband and and really our circle of all of our friends, right? Mm -hmm. 
But to me, hearing just a little bit, and I know there's more that you want to share, and we're going to get to that. Believe me, I want to get to that. But I think to me, this again just speaks to your heart because you have two biological children, Mm -hmm. right? And you have five others that were adopted. Yes. Now, why were they adopted? What what was the process behind that? Because my thinking, and, and this is where I need your help, is my thinking is you came from such brokenness mm-hmm. and such heartache, as you've already shared, and such, I mean, lack of a better word, garbage, right? And being treated as such. And, and again, no disrespect by any means, but... Is that maybe why you felt so led and you and Eric felt so led to adopt these these five kiddos that are not kiddos anymore? Uh, They're all adults now, by the way. But but speak to that if you wouldn't mind. Okay, well, um, we knew I knew in my heart that we weren't done having kids and I couldn't have any more kids. So we started looking into adoption and we just had an open heart for kids to um, to bring children in that needed some more love, that needed a home, a place to call home, a, a bed to sleep in. Um, we just have compassion and love for children. And so we started looking into adoption, and it was actually a miracle the way we got all of our kids. Um, Amy, uh, we had gone to adoption classes for, and Brian and Sean were also at those classes, and they were looking through books of 300 children to be adopted. And they were doing this separately. And they both picked the same girl separately to be their sister. And so, and it was Amy. And so we went through, started going through the process while we were still in our classes. You're supposed to finish your classes before you start going looking for children, but it gave them something to do. And um, our case work, well, our teacher, who was also a caseworker, she started looking into this little girl. And so we found out the day of our last class that we got Amy mm. to adopt her. That wow. was just a miracle thing because yeah, it didn't happen. Right. Didn't that happen. doesn't happen. I know. I know. And you talk to anybody that adopts kids, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll echo that. Trust right. me. Yeah, right. I, I know a couple that, that has done that. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't happen that way. Right. Yeah. And then, so then we, um, after we had Amy for about a year, we started looking for a baby because we thought, you know, we'd like to go for a baby. Well, there was a mother who was a cocaine addict who had twins. And they asked me if I would be willing to take a class on medical fra- medically fragile babies. And so I said, yeah. So I did. And when the babies came a month early, um, they got placed with us. And it was actually a foster placement at the time because you had to foster them before you could adopt them. And they had to um, um, terminate the parental rights you know, before that could happen. And so we found out they had two older siblings and we started asking about the two older siblings and they said no they're already going to another family and so we went oh okay can we get can we meet them can we let the kids know each other at least you know growing up and they said yeah we can do that so we met them and oh my goodness that was kim and david and we did not want to (laughs) let them go back we just fell in love with them so um at kirsten and andrew's first birthday they the state decided that they wanted to keep all the kids together and 
Kim and David were still in foster homes at that time. And so we said, yeah, we'll take them all, you know, keep them together. And so we were able to get all four of them. And so we actually added five children to our family in three years. If you can believe that. That's insane. That's, that's another miracle. That's <laughs> Some people are already like, what were you thinking? Are you kidding me? That's but what our parents said. I'm sure mm-hmm. most sane people would. <laughs> like I always say people with one kid is like, okay, yeah, one kid. Two kids is like, oh, well, you're you're nice. Yeah. Three kids is like, are you insane? Four, I'm like, are you crazy? You need to be committed. Anybody over four in my mind is like, you're asking for trouble. No, no. We had our we had our own playground full of kids. In fact, we had people stop at our house to ask if we were a daycare. <laughs> I thought that when I first met you guys. I really did. I was like, oh, it's Sean. Your mom does in-home daycare. That's cool. He's like, they're my siblings. <laughs> yes. I was like, do you love them? Most of the time. <laughs> I really like Kirsten, though. I'm like, okay, well, uh-huh. that's good. But... But so back to your story. So you have this tremendous heart. And I think that, again, just builds into what we're talking about, right, is that you have this heart because you've been hurt. I think it only lends to the fact that you go out and get these kids that are that are at risk. Again, I think that speaks to your heart, whether maybe consciously or unconsciously. That's the translation I get from that, which I think is tremendous. But but what what is more to this story? I mean, because you, you talk about this broken person, this drug addicted person, this you know, alcohol, you know, codependency on, on painkillers and prescription medication. So where do we go from there to where we are now with, with Karen and her story? Okay, so I guess I need to back up a little bit and go to where God first called me to start going through my past. And I told him no. And then I told him, you know, if you're going to make me go through this, then I want you to use it for good. And so he gave me a scripture out of 2 Corinthians 1, um, 2 through 5. And it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. And well, Yeah, go ahead. That was my beginning. That's where I grasped on to, okay, God is going to use this for good. So I can go forward. I kind of gave myself permission to go forward. And um, to let God just continue to minister to me through his word, through his scriptures, um, through the suffering that he went through, he did it. God helped him through it. The Holy Spirit helped him through it. And, and I can do this. You know, through his strength, I can do this. And so I was really, really encouraged to be able to go forward and to be able to let God use um, what I had gone through to help others and um, we all go through painful situations we all have painful pasts you know somewhere and we either learn to grow through them or we learn to be consumed by them and we really really have a choice I know so many times we feel so stuck 
and like there's no place for me to go. Nobody else understands what I'm going through. But truly, we are not alone. We really aren't. There's others out there who have gone through similar situations. And there's help out there for people who uh, really want to get out of drug addiction or alcoholism or deal with their past, come out of abusive situations. There's help. There's lots of help. There's books that we can read to um, help us to become strong and, and able to stand on our own two feet and go forward, be brave enough to face what we've gone through. And um, I learned uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, which says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And so I grasped on to these promises in God's word for the strength that I needed. And I would read books and, and grasp whatever I could from those books. And these couple of counselors that I went to, I grasped the truths and um, the help that they gave me. And I was able to go forward. And I know that we don't have memories of everything that happens to us all at once. And I really believe that that's God's coping mechanism for our lives. Because if we remembered everything all at the same time, we'd be overwhelmed. Well, so, and, that, and that's what I was going to ask is like, <clears throat> most people who are at least my experience and my understanding is, is that most people who have a drug addiction or a drug past or maybe an abusive situation, there is this either rock bottom or aha moment or this mm -hmm. moment where they're like, I'm done. What was your moment in that? And then the second part of that I'd like to, that I'm curious about too, is how does perseverance play into that for you? Well, my aha moment was that scripture that God gave me where I would be able to help others. That was it. That was the one that I have stood on for so long. If I get discouraged, that's the one I go back to because um, that's God's promise for me to use it for good. And he's allowed me to be able to do that. For 35 years, I've counseled people and I've led support groups, Bible studies, and I've been able to help so many women and even some men uh, be encouraged to go on in, in their story and not, not be satisfied with where they're at, but just to go on and, and heal and share their story with other people and so that's really really been exciting and what was the second part the perseverance <laughs> aspect oh. of it like how does perseverance oh. play into your story well discipline and perseverance i think go together okay so, talk about that like how does that play for you okay so in order for me to go forward i had to be disciplined enough in my thinking um in my decisions that I was making uh, and not go back on them. Um, there's, a, there's a saying in Star Wars with Yoda where he says, there is no try, only do. And I clung on to that. And, and, and able to, in, in order for me to go forward, I had to be able to um, say, this is it, there is no try, only do. This is perseverance, this is discipline, this is it. If I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it all the way. And so I was determined to do it all the way. In fact, I, I was encouraged through one of the teachings that I had gone through to ask some others 
about what they saw in my life to grasp a new identity as a child of God, to grasp a new identity of who I am. Can I read to you some of yeah, the ones? Yeah, please. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So one person called me a designer. They said, you're extremely creative, profoundly imaginative, and an original thinker. You see something in your head and your brain has the way of figuring out how it should come into existence. You see something in the world and you already know how to improve it tenfold. You have the power to affect people's emotions and the ability to truly change how people perceive things. That was such an encouragement to me. And when did you get that? Um, that was October 22nd of 2014. So it's been a little bit. It has been that's, a little that's bit. That's my point. It has, it has been a little bit. But these are the things that I hold on to that keep me strong. You know, what others have seen in me. The fact that we do have worth. We all have worth. We just have to see it in ourselves. And sometimes we're so blinded about who we really are because we're looking at our pain. We're looking at our sorrow and the things that have happened. And we just don't feel like we're worth anything. We feel like trash. And so sometimes we need other people to help us to realize who we really are inside and what good qualities we have, what character we have inside to be able to go forth and grow. So what are some practical steps that you did? Because, I mean, I'm going to play a little skeptic here, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's easy to read a Bible verse and be like, okay, maybe that was for me. Maybe that was for someone else. Maybe I read a book and, you know, but, but what are some real practical things that you were like, okay, enough's enough. It's time to put my shoes on. It's time to, you know, whatever. What, what were some real practical things that you did to kind of get past this? Well, the first part that you said with maybe, you know, maybe this is for me, maybe it's not. To me, that's wishy-washy. Right. Okay. We need to very not much, be wishy-washy. Very much wishy-washy. Right. Yeah. So I was very determined and I got some books and I started reading some books. The first one that God brought me through was Love is a Choice. We have a choice to love others or not. It's a workbook that I led several uh, support groups through. And then I had Reclaiming Your Inner Child was another book that I went through to find out how how to even look at my childhood in some kind of a healthy way. I even, in, in one of the books, it was suggesting that you look at other people and watch how other people are. So I would go to a park and watch fathers with their children to find out what a healthy relationship with a father and a child is like. And so I I would see, wow, okay, so that father doesn't seem to be very kind to his child. And then I would see another father and go, oh, that's what a loving father looks like. Because I had to first understand what relationship, healthy relationship looked like before I could even acknowledge God as my father, Jesus as my brother, and the Holy Spirit, you know, to listen to him. And so I spent time at the park. I spent time wherever I went in the store. I paid attention to how people treated other people and, and said to myself, that one's healthy, that one's not. And, and through that, I learned what to grasp onto, what to hold onto, and uh, how to treat others, how I should have been treated by my mom, by 
uncle, by other people, you know, my dad, by people in my life who had abused me, by watching pastors who are healthy pastors and and what that means, having a healthy relationship with a pastor or an elder. And I read books like Tilly by Peretti for abortion. That book helped me so much and actually was given to me by my friend Penny, who walked with me quite a bit through the latter end of my healing process, which was nice. And I read the book Boundaries, which really helped me to to know how to put boundaries in my life because I was just free for anybody. I was a free for all because I didn't know boundaries. I didn't know what was healthy and what wasn't. Everything was always taken from me. So I didn't know how to not let people take from me. I had to learn to be able to say no, which was really hard for me to learn. When I first started, I felt guilty because I thought, I felt like I was abusing them, you know, because because I had to learn to say no, and that's enough, and I'm not going to do that, and um, it, it was hard to stand up for myself. So I hear in that, just to kind of recap what you're saying, first off, thank you for sharing that. That's so powerful, right? In a lot of respects, I feel like a lot of people should be able to get some great benefit from that, but the thing I hear in that is determination and the the uh, ability just not to quit like that was not even in your vocabulary that was not even in your nature like once you made that determination to say that's it I'm done I'm I'm not gonna live this way anymore I'm ready to move on I'm gonna do whatever it takes and take and took active steps like observing people which was pretty in my mind I mean who would have thought to do that I would never have thought like, what does that look like? How do I, how do I go do that? Well, how can I determine what's good and what's bad? But to see that and to walk that out, that was, that's pretty cool stuff. So why do you feel like, why do you feel like this, this has been such a, a, a trying journey for you? I mean, because again, so many people, at least in my mind, if, and I don't, I mean, I don't know a ton of people, but I would think that if so many people had been through what you'd been through, it would be so easy to quit, give up, and not continue to go on. Other than other than getting you know guidance from God, what do you think again pushed you forward to to be able to do that? Who would you give credit to? I guess. Um, well, okay. I in one of the books, I was asked to write a bit about my life, and so I did. And if I could read that, that would help you to understand. So this was in 1996. Okay. And I... So, wow, we just met in 1996. I know. And this is when I wrote this. Okay. Okay, so that's what I was going through when I met you. Okay. Okay, so I entitled it The Princess. And it says, There once was a little, poor, weak pauper girl taken from a life of poverty and perversion and placed into a kingdom of royalty as a princess. She had no proper upbringing, no training to become a princess who would stand before the people to speak for the king or to bring them into his presence. Here she stands not knowing what to do. She doesn't have the proper words, charm, charisma, or stature of a princess. No birthright to royalty, yet she loves the king and his people. She wants to do the right things, say the right things, 
but unworthiness, unimportance, and a void of value is all she knows. She struggles so much to be the righteousness of the king, which the, peace, the prince himself died to give her, saving her from the life of deprivation she was destined for. Now all she is, is what the king can give her. She hopes for understanding, patience, and acceptance as she learns, for even she doesn't understand all she's becoming. She feels so inadequate, and yet even more is asked of her by the king. She doesn't want to disappoint him or let him down, or his people either. She's unsure of how much she can really do, but she knows that the king loves her very much, for he has made her his very own. She must trust him to know what's best. She knows he is all she has, and her all must come from him. She so gently bows before him, subjecting all she is, all she was, and all she ever will be to his every desire. All her strength, wisdom, ability, all she has become has come from him alone, for in herself she is still very weak. So that was in 1996. And I read this to one of my pastors after I had written this, uh, probably a couple of years after I had written this. And he told me, your story's not done. So I have to give him credit for encouraging me to finish my story. So in, in October 5th of 2005, I actually finished my story. And it says, now years later, the princess, happy to be a precious child of the king, owns her right as heir to the prince's throne. She now has an identity that no one can taint or take away from her. Every day as she remembers all that the prince sacrificed to give her, her freedom, kinship, security, love, without wavering, a satisfaction she never thought she could have on her own, a beauty that is beyond what she herself can understand as others describe it to her, a longing to be wanted, cared for, and owned by someone so very special. She will never take for granted the, get, the great gift she now possesses and holds on to so tightly with all hope of all dreams now to come true for all eternity in the kingdom with the most tender, loving, kind, compassionate king that one could ever hope to know. She walks among the people with grace and confidence and loves the king's people even more now. She teaches them the love and compassion that the king himself taught her. She is humble yet lively, faithful and playful, truthful and sure. Oh, the awe she feels to be in such a peaceful place with joy and sensitivity to those around her. She still does not understand all she is to become, but willingly, fearlessly, joyfully, she bows before her king, who calls her to climb even higher to a place she does not know. All is well, though, for all, as always, he continues to guide her with clarity and truth patience and tenderness, and a righteousness that she still longs so much to know and walk in. Confidence in the king is the security of life she lives in. All that comes upon her now, whether good or bad, she will be able to endure with strength, 
for her strength, not being her own, comes from the king. She knows that although she possesses the good, bad, ugly, and beautiful of humanity, that the blessings of glory that the king so pleasingly bestows upon her will be hers forever, as she keeps her place before the king, pure, righteous, and holy. Her purpose now is only to be used for his own glory forever and ever, in whatever capacity he may call her before his people and the people of the world. Yes, to be a pleasing sacrifice to the king and others that the prince had become on her behalf. And of course, for me, the king is God. Right. In the kingdom of God, the prince is Jesus who right. died for me. And Thank you so much for sharing uh, that, Karen. That was awesome. Thanks. That was some good stuff. Yeah. You know, here's the thing I think we forget about in our society, and you could probably speak to this better than I could, um, but I think we're so disillusioned by Disney movies, mm-hmm. right? Well, right. I mean, what you read, I'm, I'm thinking like, that's a that's a great portrayal of potentially a Disney movie, right? We got this this rough and tumble princess who's been, you know, kicked around, you know, passed around. And yet, that's not a Disney movie. That's not a Hallmark movie. That's your life. Yeah, it and, is. And the fact that God could take the worst of the worst experiences and still use this vessel, you, to say, you know what? Not done yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not done yet. Why is that so important to you that people know that there is a hope? Well, I think if we give up on hope, then we have no future. We have no vision. We have no purpose. We have to have a hope to be able to go on and know that we are needed in this world, every one of us. Every one of us has a story to share. Every one of us has people to touch, lives that need to be loved on, compassion that needs to be shared. Um, Everybody does. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. Everybody has something to share with others that can help others become a better human being. And when I read the story, it's kind of funny, when, when I read the part about, you know, to be used by the king with, who, with whatever he wants to do, whatever his desire is, I never thought that I would be sharing my story for others to hear like this. But I'm glad that I am, because if it can bring hope to other people, then more people can get healed. Well, and that leads into my next question is, is this idea of um, how he's like to, to kind of put people in a scenario of you have this grand stage, right? Like, I never know where this show's going to go. I really don't. Like, I mean, we, we have people looking into it like, okay, we're here, we're in this country, we're in that, you know, because I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, there are probably people listening in France, Asia. I don't know. But if you're on this grand stage, I know your husband's a big Patriots fan, so we just probably lost like half our listeners because everybody hates the Patriots. But, <laughs> Not everybody. <laughs> but, but if you're in Gillette Stadium, right? I mean, I don't know how many it seats. We'll say roughly, you know, 80,000 people, right? G- give or take. Your, your 50-yard line of Gillette Stadium and, and all these people, women, men, doesn't matter, all these people from walks of life who may have an idea in some way that they don't have value. 
that maybe they've been hurt, they've been abused, they've been neglected, they've been forgotten, they've been, you know, whatever there, whatever there has been for them. What would be your message to them? I would have to say that whatever you've been through, whoever you are right now, doesn't have to be your destiny. You can change from where you're at. It doesn't make you less valuable to say you've been abused or you're a drunk or an alcoholic or a a drug addict or whatever walk of life people may come from. That doesn't have to devalue your life. You can become more than that. You can overcome it. And your life is significance. You were put here for significance. And so you can. There is hope. You can get beyond where you're at. Don't give up. Keep on going. Keep pushing through. Don't let anybody discourage you. If you have people in your life that are negative and discouraging, get them out of your life. Surround yourself with people who are healthy for you. Because I think a lot of times we're surrounded by unhealthy people and they tear us down. And we need, in order to heal, we need to get past those kinds of people. And maybe later on in our, our lives, you know, those kinds of people may come back in and those are the people that we get to help. But for now, while we're healing and getting strengthened and learning how to win the victories in our life, we need to be around positive people. We need to read books that are helpful to us. We need to be in situations that are helpful to us, like counseling or um, classes, whatever it is that needs to, that you need to be able to go forward, to become the better person, the best person that you can be. And not everybody has that desire to be a better person. I had that passion to be a better person. I wanted to be used of God. I had a family that I wanted to be a good mom to, a husband that I wanted to be a good wife to. And I know I couldn't do it where I was at. I was too broken. I needed to go beyond brokenness. And so everybody, I think, has a little bit of brokenness. You can go beyond your brokenness and and get healed. So as as we kind of um, look over this episode... um... There's just so many things that I'm I'm so happy that you've gotten an opportunity to share and so many things that just um, clued me into more of your story and more of who you are. So thanks for that. But I want to ask you this one. So uh, we're in your nook, right? We can mm-hmm. look out the window and we can see your driveway. And I know your husband's a big movie fan. He, Every time I'm around him, he's always quoting some movie quote from some movie I've never even heard of because he just watches so many movies. He's just a big movie guy. But I know you know this one. The DeLoreans outside, we'll say, right? Back to the Future DeLorean, right? You know where I'm at now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's jump in that, right? And we're going to go back to when you were 12 years old. Mm -hmm. What you are now. I mean, you don't have to tell me your age. I mean, you can if you want, but you you don't have to. But we're going to go back to when you were 12. What would you tell that 12-year-old Karen as she's walking out of the doctor's office? I mean, she probably wouldn't recognize you, maybe. Maybe she would, maybe she wouldn't. I don't know. But but what would you tell that that 12-year-old little girl? It's interesting that you ask me that because that, um, well, the situation where I was raped 
by my neighbor across the street who was a teenager uh, up in a tree fort by knife, okay? Um, when I dealt with that memory, God put him, Jesus put himself with me in that memory. And I was able to, to just in my own thoughts and even words out loud, tell that guy exactly what I felt about him. And um, just doing that, just doing that really helped me to um, get out the frustration and anger and resentment and all that I had. That really helped me picturing Jesus with me going through it. So it was the same thing when I walked out of that doctor's office. Um, my mom didn't know what else to do. She, she was beside herself. You know, she was a single mom, four kids. She didn't know what else to do. And so, you know, I was able to forgive her for that. Um, I was able to talk to my little girl and say, you know, mom didn't know, she didn't understand. And uh, you can go forward from this. Um, you didn't cause this. It's not your fault. You didn't want this. You didn't deserve this. You didn't seek this. But this is what happened. And so take a step now. You know, Jesus is with you. You're not alone. You are absolutely not alone. And um, I even had my friend Penny go through with this memory with me. So to have somebody else go through a memory with you can be really encouraging because you're not going through it alone. There's support there with you. And, you know, find somebody safe that, that you can trust, that you believe isn't going to uh, turn on you or use your story against you. And she was great with me and she was a, a good support for me and and um, I just spoke the words out loud you know I I'm hurting right now I'm gonna go home um, I bled for a long time I just dealt with all the different parts of what that abortion brought forth for me and I even had a hard time getting pregnant because of it um, in fact, I'll share this too. Before I even had that memory of what happened of that abortion, I had doctors asking me how many abortions I'd had. And I was like, why do you guys keep asking me how many abortions I've had? I haven't had any. And they just look at me funny, you know, and it was like, it was a really bad abortion, I guess, you know, from what the doctor's responses have been. And so I had to deal with that. You know, it was it was really damaging what he did to me. I almost couldn't have kids because of it. And so there were long-lasting effects from it. And um, I just had to talk to my little girl and tell her, you're okay. You're okay. You can get through this. You're okay. You're not that same person anymore. You're not in that same situation anymore. You don't ever, ever have to let anybody treat you that way again. A lot of self-talk. A lot of reparenting of myself in order to um, grasp a hold of the new truths or of reality of normal thinking because I did not have normal thinking and so that's what I did I talked to myself through these things some of the things I, I counseled um, with counselors and would talk to them about some of the things that I went through and it was good to talk about it get it out and and you're right to talk to that little girl and say, you're going to be okay. You're really going to be okay. And I think we need to be positive in the midst of it. 
Uh, again, I, I think that's so powerful to, to almost, um, you know, retraining your mind, right? In a lot of respects, reconditioning your heart, almost like an athlete would train his body or, you know, uh, you know, somebody who's learning a new skill, you know, you just have to go through that training process. So, you know, determination, perseverance, mm-hmm. training, you know, determination, all those I think are so many keys to your story. I mean, there's so many more that we can mention, but, but those are some specific things that I feel like are really jumping out at me. Um, as we kind of wrap up here, I, I just, I'm, I'm so encouraged by what you said today. And, and I got to tell you a funny story. I know we've had some real serious stuff. So some levity, perhaps, maybe make, maybe make us laugh a little bit because there have been times that we've probably wanted to cry in hearing how you've been hurt and how people have abused you and hurt you. So maybe some levity for you, okay? Sure. You see my shirt. I'm, I'm wearing a, a Top Gun <laughs> shirt, and I know you know that, that uh, movie, and we watched it so many times as a, as a adolescent I don't know if you remember this or not, but there's a scene in Top Gun where Maverick and Charlie are together and the song Take My Breath Away mm-hmm. comes on. And and you would make us as kids, as teenagers, cover our eyes <laughs> so we could not watch that scene. Why we couldn't fast forward through it, I don't know. We were purists. We, we didn't do that. So some are saying, why didn't you just fast forward through it? You wouldn't have to do it. We didn't do that. But you would make us cover our eyes. To this day... This moment, even if that song came on the radio, I would probably almost instinctively <laughs> cover my eyes. So there have been times I've been on the freeway, the song has come on, and I've been like, "I, Karin, I can't, I can't cover my eyes." Because you would come in, and if we weren't having our eyes covered, sorry, I didn't mean to hit your thing there. If we didn't have our eyes covered, we got in trouble. You would kind of scold us in in a lot of respects, like, "Why aren't your eyes closed?" And it's like, so anyway, I just thought I would share that with you because it's just a fun fun story on yeah, that so but but Karen what would you tell your kids because they've walked through some bad stuff too some challenges some heartaches some disappointments and, and really you've been kind of as we alluded to a mom to so many right mm-hmm. I mean right. yes you have seven that you lame claim to as far as last names but there's so many more that you've had in your home and had adopted I mean you were the youth group mom for goodness sakes in a lot of respects what would you say to all those kids out there right now? Not, not only your kids, but kids that you've influenced, you and Eric have influenced through the years. What would you say to all those kids that are hurting, potentially? That there's hope. That, that yes, they're hurting right now. And they need to talk to somebody. They need to get some help. Um, they need to not hold it in. Because if we hold this in, we just become resentful and the negative feelings and the negative thoughts take over and we become people we wouldn't become otherwise. And we don't like the people that we are when we do that. And so I would say, talk to me, come talk to me, come talk to somebody, find somebody that you can share whatever it is you're going through with. Don't try and go through it alone because we're not strong enough as people to just go through it alone. We need help. We need others. We need to have support going through things in our life. And so I would tell them I love them. I love them all. I love you all. You're all important. You're all special. You're all a blessing, such a huge blessing. Neil, you're such a huge blessing. You are. I mean, I've watched you grow up so much from 
the beginning of dating Elizabeth, you know, and <laughs> it's been that's fun. That's another story. <laughs> it's Thumbs been... outside the blanket. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. another story for another time. But yeah. Oh, uh, and, and I would say what I've learned is look at life as experiences and adventures. Hmm. Because now I look at my life with experiences and adventures, whether they're good or bad. Because that's a positive way to look at things. And I've had to learn to change my thinking so much. And in doing that, it's it's made me so much happier. It's made me carry joy and encouragement and hope and um, just love for other people and, and enjoying life um, in desiring to have more experiences and more adventures. Eric and I are at a point point where uh, we're going to be retiring. He's going to be retiring soon. And we're looking into the next portion of our life and what that's going to bring and what we want to do now. And it's just really an adventure. And I don't know what all we're going to get to do, but we really are looking forward to it. And, you know, life's experiences, I don't want to make it sound like everything's great and wonderful. There are hard things that are going on in our life, but I still choose to look at them as an experience that I can learn from, an experience that uh, I, I can grow through, an experience that can build my character, that... Um, I don't have to go through alone. You know, I've got friends around me. I've got my husband. I've got my family. And um, those experiences, good or bad, can really help us to learn a lot and and to, I don't know, I want to say go forward. Keep going forward. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great line, right, to keep going forward. And, and I think even for someone who maybe isn't married, mm-hmm. right, who maybe doesn't have a huge circle of, mm-hmm. of friends is your advice would be find somebody to walk life with, whether it be a girlfriend, mm-hmm. whether it be a best friend, whether it be, you know, uh, maybe a coworker, somebody to walk through life with, because I, I think we're of the same mindset here to say, it's really boring walking through life alone. There's nobody to have that experience with. Right. And there's nobody to have that adventure with. And I, I think you said it so eloquently in that regard. So I think it's dangerous too. Because right. when we only have our own feelings, our own thoughts, sometimes it can lead us down a dark path. Sure. Where when we have the input of others, we tend to see the truth better, tend to see reality better. Right. I mean, you were very fortunate. You know, I mean, you had a lot of your, um, you talked about, you, you know, a lot of this self reprogramming. But along the way, your husband's there along the way to kind of help balance you out. You had girlfriends along the mm-hmm. way to come and help balance you out. So as much as your story was you still saying, hey, I need to change this, you still had that support system to come alongside you in a lot of respects, right? Somewhat, somewhat, because my girlfriends didn't understand it either. Right. People, people in my circle really didn't understand me. And so a lot of it I learned through going through workbooks and through reading and um, really, really, through workbooks and reading, I gleaned a lot. And I didn't give up, you know. But it, And they tried to be patient with me. And it was hard for them, too, because they didn't always understand. They didn't know what I was going through. But they were there to be encouraging. And people around us don't need to know exactly what we're going through. They need to be encouraging to us. Right. 
And I, I think that's excellent. So we'll kind of close with that thought. Uh, we're going to play a game because it's fun to play a game, right? Everybody <laughs> likes games, right? So here's my uh, magical cup of awesome. Everyone loves it. Um, so inside the cup, there is a die. So you're going to roll it. You can roll it in the cup, out of the cup, whichever you want. Oh, you got number four. Your favorite number. That's right. So we're playing a game called Senseless. So, Karin, you got number four. So uh, this is totally right up your alley. It's almost like the die knew you needed this question. So here it is. Uh, One thing you love to hear. One thing I'd love to hear. Dramatic silence. Yes. I know. One thing I'd love to hear. I guess because I love helping people so much, I love to hear how I'm helping them. <laughs> I love to hear that I, I'm I'm encouraging or I've done something good or helped somebody somehow because if I can help somebody else to turn the light on, then it fulfills what God gave me to begin with, that I will be able to help others with the same comfort I got. And it, it all goes back around to that. That's awesome. No, I, th- I think that's great. So, uh, Karin, I just want to say thank you so much for sitting with me. So awesome. I, I think you shared so many amazing good stuff. And, you know, I can't wait to see what the reaction is. Because I think there's going to be a reaction. I think undoubtedly some of the stuff you shared could be a game changer for somebody's <laughs> life. And it really could. If they if they take some of the principles you said, you know, maybe read some of the books that you've suggested, I think they really could see potentially, if they really follow it, a dramatic change in their life. Of course, that all starts with them maybe making a greater decision by surrendering themselves to, of course, Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. I mean, that's but really the But to be determined key. to. But be determined mm-hmm. to, right. absolutely. yeah. I think that's really the key to this whole episode is just determining to be better than you were yesterday. Right. 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 And and although we've talked about some negative things about the church, I know you're going through your series as the church. Yes, that's right. right. We just finished the series. Yeah. We just finished the whole last season. There's also wonderful things about church and how God is using and I think that's that was the thing, just to go back to segue back to last season for a second. Um, that's the whole thing for me is the fact of People are so embarrassed to like tell me like, oh, I, I don't like the church or oh, the church did this to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't care. Mm-hmm. I mean, I care that, it, that that they hurt you. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I'm like, listen, if they hurt you, let's fix that. Let's figure out what happened. So and I'm glad you didn't allow the church to stop you from moving forward because easily again, you could really easily say I'm done with you, God. I'm done mm-hmm. with your church. I'm done with everything about you. And I'm going to destroy that hangy thing that's above your, <laughs> above our table right now. But um, but you didn't allow that to stop you. And I think that is so important as well. well is even though you're hurt, you're not allowing to stay in your pain to continue to wallow around in it. And it wasn't the church that did it. It was individuals in the church, just like individuals in any um, avenue of life, in any walk of life. We see that all over the place now, you know, in politics and right. in every walk of life. Right. It doesn't matter. Mm-mm. So... So awesome. Well, Karin, thank you again so much. Uh, this, of course, is Other People's Shoes. I, of course, am your host, Neil Matthews. And I just want to just remind you of this one simple truth. And that's this. Is remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. I want to thank my guest, Karin. Such an amazing mom. Such an amazing uh, speaker, I think, down the way. Maybe even author. Who knows? We've predicted two authors now on the show. So we'll see what happens with that. But, uh, but again, I just want to thank her so much for her candor and just her, her 
spirit to never quit and that uh, determination to continue to move forward. And I think that truly came out in this episode. Thank you so much for joining us on Other People's Shoes today. I don't know about you, but Karen's story of just how she continues to find the motivation to not only help herself, but help others around her is so powerful and so impacting. And I hope for our ladies that listen, I hope you really got a lot out of today's episode. I know I did, and I'm not a lady, but I know the gentleman can as well get something out of today's episode. I hope you're willing to share it with a friend, family member, or coworker, because this episode, I believe, has so many different layers to it. It can definitely help somebody in your life and maybe even yourself. Who knows? Hey, we're doing a November giveaway, and it's not too late to sign up for that and to be a part of that. And here's my daughter, Adia, to tell you more about that. Adia? Thanks, Dad. Come be a part of the Other People's Shoes November giveaway presented by Southern Oregon Runners Club. A family or friend four-pack with race entry and shirts for the Turkey Trot Run on Thanksgiving Day, Thursday, November 28th. To enter, comment on the picture of my dad and host Neil Matthews in a turkey suit. That can be done at Facebook.com under Other People's Shoes. For a second entry, follow us on Instagram and comment the, on the picture Neil in the turkey suit photo with hashtag TurkeyTrot19. For a third entry into this giveaway, follow us on Twitter and be sure to comment on the picture Neil in a turkey suit costume with hashtag TurkeyTrot19. Join us next Wednesday for Nowhere to Go But Up. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Join us next Wednesday. Until then, have a great week.